Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Psalms. The Old Testament book of Psalms, and we are in Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We've been traveling through this psalm one section at a time. Remember that the book of Psalms is broken up into various sections with eight verses apiece on each section. And now as we are on our closing um, couple of psalms, we find our way to Psalm 119 and verse 153. Psalm 119 and one. 53. Notice with me as we look in Psalm 119 and 153, the Bible says this, Psalm 119 and 153, Consider mine affliction, and deliver me, for I do not forget thy law. Plead my case, and deliver me, quicken me according to thy word. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they seek not thy statutes. Great are thy tender mercies, O Lord. Quicken me according to thy judgments. Many are my persecutors and mine enemies. Yet do I not decline from thy testimonies. I beheld the transgressors and was grieved because they kept not thy word. Consider how I love thy precepts. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy loving kindness. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in Psalm 119? Psalm 119, and notice with me in verse 160. Psalm 119 in verse 160, 160, notice the phrase, thy word is true from the beginning. Thy word is true from the beginning. Now, as we go through here, we see that the psalmist is going through many hard times. We've observed that through the last um, <laughs> little bit of the of Psalm 119 that we've walked through. We could see that he's going through great persecution. He's going through great affliction. He's lonely. He's the only one who's trying to do what's right. And in the midst of this, he's reminding himself that God's word is true from the beginning. That God's word is what he could rely upon. If you don't mind, let's examine this psalm and see what he is going through. And the first thing that we see is the situation. The situation. Notice with me in Psalm 119 and 153. Consider mine affliction and deliver me, for I forget not thy law. Now, one issue that comes up with a growing number inside of the Christian community is the thought that all sickness is a result of sin in people's life. There's an idea that if we lived perfectly, that we would have no problems, we'd have no suffering, and have no difficulty. But that isn't a true statement. That 
according to the Bible, there are several different reasons why bad things happen. And it's not just because of sin. In fact, the Bible talks about that one reason, according to the book of Romans chapter 8, is to conform to the image of Christ. That we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his firstborn son. We know that sometimes the reason why bad things happen is because God is using that process to make us more like Christ, to correct our behavior, to mold us into the image. Another reason why sometimes things happen to us is as a form of discipline. That God does take us outside of the woodshed. He tries to correct our behavior. And that sometimes is the reason. The Bible talks about, as another thing, is a natural consequence of sin in the world. That we live in a sin-filled world. We've lived in a world where people said, God, I don't want you involved in my life. And God says, okay. And now there's consequences all over the place. And the people are like, where's God in this? Well, you told him to stay out of it. We know that sometimes that is a natural consequence of sin in the world. Sometimes... It's a result of taking communion with unconfessed sin in God's heart. God makes a big emphasis of this in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. That the idea of taking the Lord's Supper and not doing it correctly is a very big deal. Because God desires for us to have fellowship with Him. And the only way that we can have fellowship with Him is if we're completely right with Him. The Bible also explains that another reason why bad things happen to us is to purge out our dross and to purify the Christian's life. That when I am tried and purified, I shall come forth as gold. The dross is something that happens during a process of purifying metals because inside of metals, different materials will um, melt at a certain temperature, at different temperatures. And so let's say that we wanted to have pure gold. We would take a lump of gold, we would boil it down, and because the gold melts at a um, lower temperature than the other metals, that as gold turns liquid, the other impurities will rise to the top. They would scrape off those impurities, they would call that the dross, and that would leave the metal more pure than what it was. Well, there are times that God puts us in the fire. And he does it for the purpose of getting the impurities out of our life and scraping them off. So that way we can have a more pure Christian life. There's another reason why bad things happen according to the Bible. It says, in order that the glory of God may be revealed through supernatural healing, through the resolution of impossible circumstances, or the spirit-led response of a Christian under pressure. Those are all under that category of to let God be glorified. And sometimes that happens. That sometimes God allows something awful to happen because he wants to have his name glorified. So... We have to get rid of this idea that's very popular within the Christian culture is that the only reason why bad things happen to someone is a direct result of sin. That is not always the case. Now, we have to say that because there are sometimes we're doing what's right and bad things happen to us. And if people are thinking that it's only because a result of sin, they're going to look at God and say, God, you're not right. 
you're not good. I've been trying to live what's right. Now I'm having a bad life. And now, God, it's all your fault. And I don't like you no more. And people do that. And so here the psalmist in 153, consider mine affliction. Is he speaking to God? He says, God, you know what I'm going through. You know the affliction I'm going through. You know the hard times that I'm coming to. You know what I'm doing. He says, and deliver me. Why? For I do not forget thy law. Here the psalmist is saying, I've been as right with you as I possibly can. And now as I'm going through affliction, I know because I'm as right with you as I possibly can, it's not as a result of sin. There's something else that's going on, and I can expect you to take care of this to glorify your own name. Now, when he's saying this, he's doing this to try to make sure that he's responding to persecution the best he can. He's trying to respond correctly. Now, if we're not careful, we won't respond carefully. Uh, correctly. So let's say that you're in the flesh a little bit and bad things happen that your first response isn't God's still good and God still help me. Your response is to throw a fit and to uh, do something that would not be glorifying to God's name. He's reminding himself that Lord I'm going through affliction and deliver me. I'm trusting you. I've been trying to do what's right. Help me to respond correctly. You know, there's something to this, that as God works on us from the inside out, we change how we respond. For example, let's say that we, uh, we're doing a hammering project and we accidentally hit the wrong nail. Well, our old nature wants to respond poorly. But do you know there's something to it that when you are following the Lord and God's changing you from the inside out, that you could even hit the wrong nail and still say God's still good, God's still right as a reaction and not to stop and think about. For example, let's say that you took a hammer and you hit your thumb and you hit it hard. You don't pause and say, oops, hmm, I wonder how I should respond to this. You just naturally respond. Well, someone who's learned to depend upon God, to trust in God on a daily basis, and God changes them from the inside out, that you can even go through a difficult time and your response, your reaction that you don't necessarily control or think about is God's still good and God's still right. That's something that is a real thing that can occur. And so the psalmist, as he's going through affliction, he's not turning bitter. As he's going through affliction, he's not yelling at God and yelling at the world. He's saying, Lord, I'm trusting you. My response through hard times is I'm trusting you. I'm depending upon you. I'm looking at you. And because he responded correctly, his prayer would be before God to deliver him from this affliction. His following response was then to plead his case. Notice with me in verse 154. Psalm um, 119, 154. Plead my cause and deliver me. Quicken me according to my word. Now, that's a wonderful promise. He said, plead my cause. Plead my case. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1 that... Um, in fact, let me just turn there really quick. In the book of 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, the Bible says this. My little children, these things write I unto you, 
that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The word advocate here carries the idea of a lawyer. Someone that pleads our case. You know, he was calling upon a promise that wasn't quite written yet. But we have a God, Jesus, who will plead our case. That's a wonderful thing that he maketh intercession for us. That he pleads our case. That we're not all by ourselves. In fact, notice the title for Jesus here. It is Jesus Christ the righteous. Here the idea of righteous carries the idea of the one that's perfect. In this case we can understand he's the one who's never lost a case. I want that lawyer. To be my lawyer. The one who's never lost a case. The one that could plead before God on my behalf. He could plead my case. Verse uh, 154 back in Psalm 118. Plead my cause and deliver me. Quicken me according to thy word. Here we have this prayer again. Quicken me. This word quicken carries the idea to make me live again. To make me come alive. To quicken me. Notice as the psalmist goes on in verse 155. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they seek not thy statutes. The psalmist observes that the wicked are far from God because they won't seek God's word. The Bible has the answers. It has all of the answers. They, if the people wanted to be right with God, they could be right with God. They weren't close to God because they did not want to be. You are always as close to God as you want to be. You know, God desires fellowship. He desires friends. He wants people to be close to him. And we can be. The thing that keeps us far from God is sin. You know, one of the wonderful truths I've been meditating on in the last couple of weeks is the idea is that God never commanded us to be perfect, to be sinless. Because he knows our frame. He knows that we're nothing but dust. He knows that we are sinners by nature. Now, that doesn't give us a blanket excuse to sin and do whatever we want. But God has made it so we have a way of escape that we could go up to him at any time that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can be close to God if we want it to be. And God has made everything he could do to, to allow us that opportunity that God is always previous, that God has already set it up. He knew that we were sinners. So in order to stay close with us, he has paid our price for our sin through the Lord Jesus Christ then has made a way through prayer and confession that we can stay right with him. That God hasn't put an unrealistic expectation in our life for us to be sinless. Amen. Praise the Lord. That he has made it so we can be close to him because of salvation and confession. That's a wonderful God. He wants us to be close to him. He wants us to be. And as David is observing, he's heartbroken because these people can have a personal relationship with God if they want it to. They just don't want to. Some Christians seem to float through life. They're saved, ah, but that's all they have. And they could be closer to God if they want to be. God has made it. However close we are to the Lord, it's because that's where we want to be. Now, as the 
hymn writer, or the psalmist continues on. Notice in verse 156. Great are thy tender mercies, O Lord. Quicken me according to thy judgments. The writer strikes on a two-note chord played together. The notes are God's mercy and God's judgment. That with God, it's not all mercy. And with God, it is not all judgment. Both of those chords play together. It's not all mercy because God just doesn't blanketly cover all sins. And it's not holy and simply God's judgment because if it was, we'd all be consumed without recompense. God is a God who is holy and righteous yet loves to forgive. Sin must be dealt with, but it has already been dealt with through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now this is hope because we have a lot of people in this world who... Very much understand that they're sinners. What's a sin, by the way? Sin is anything that we've done against God. For the example, we have in the Bible the Ten Commandments. In the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments is to honor thy father and thy mother. We would just simply say to obey your folks. Well, because we've disobeyed our folks, we have sinned. And because we have sinned, we are deserving of God's judgment. We're deserving to be separated from God and cast into an awful place called hell. That's what we deserve for one sin. The Bible says in the Ten Commandments that to thou shalt not bear false witness. We would say it this way, don't tell lies. Well, we've broken that commandment as well. We have sinned, therefore we are sinners. In fact, we sin because we're sinners. That's what comes first. Because we're sinners, we deserve to be separated from God. But God loved us so much, He sent His Son to die on the cross to pay for your sins and mine. And Jesus Christ rose again the third day to prove two things. To prove that Jesus was God and to prove that God's payment was satisfied. That God's requirement for sin was satisfied. God has already done everything and shed his blood so we could have forgiveness. God has made it so anyone and everyone could be right with God if they wanted to. What a wonderful God. And that's because of this two chord note of God's righteousness and God's mercy. That God's righteousness must be fulfilled but he delights in mercy. He loves to forgive. He wants to forgive. All we have to do is be willing to accept that free gift. The Bible says for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God wants us to be close with him. Now that helps out. It's not like someone who doesn't want to be close to you. Doesn't want to forgive and you know makes you jump through all these hoops. God wants you to be forgiven. He wants you to be close and has done all the work for you. All you have to do is accept that free gift. That's a wonderful God that we have. Well, as we go from the situation, we now go to the enemies. As the psalmist is giving a report about what's going on, notice with me in 157. Many are my persecutors and mine enemies. Notice this. He says, many are my persecutors. Many are my enemies. Yet, I do not decline from thy testimonies. He says, 
The psalmist is acknowledging his enemies are around us, around him. They've done everything they could to him. Many of them are positions of authority that are using their position to hurt him. There are many who claim to be Jewish followers that hurt him. There are many around him that just have no desire for God and they're hurting him. He's surrounded by everybody who seems to be against him. But notice the word that he uses here. He says in verse 157, Many are my persecutors and many are my enemies, yet do I not decline, decline, from thine testimonies. This idea of decline carries the idea to go from the mountain and go down, to go down in elevation. He says, I'm not lowering myself to their standards. I'm not lowering myself to their fight. I'm not lowering myself. I'm taking the high road and the high road is the never ending pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to stay with him. I'm going to stay with him on the mountaintop. I'm not going to seek down to them. I'm not going to try to beat them at their own game. I'm not trying to manipulate and work with them and I'm going to stay with God and I'm going to stay with what's right and I'm going to let God take care of things. I'm going to stay where I know it works. And that's God's word. He said, many are my persecutors and many and mine enemies. Yet do I not decline from thy testimonies. Notice in verse 158, I beheld the transgressors and was grieved. Why? Why was he brokenhearted? Because they kept not his word. He kept not thy word. Here the psalmist saw the psalmist looks at the enemies. And as he's looking at the enemies, it breaks his heart. Why? Because he could see there's a real God. And this real God is going to have real judgment for them. The psalmist is not celebrating that anyone perishes and goes to the awful place called hell. By the way, no Christian should ever cheer. I, I hear when some person dies, someone that they don't like, some person that they think is wrong and they die, it almost sounds like Christians are glad that that person is dead and glad that that person has gone to that awful place called hell. We should never celebrate that. We should always break our heart when someone dies and goes to that awful place called hell. It doesn't matter who they are. It should break our heart that Adolf Hitler is burning in hell. We should not wish that on anyone. And the psalmist is looking upon it. Because hell is such an awful place. He is so grieved at this. They had abused him. They had hurt him. And yet he still wanted the best for them. He still wanted them saved. You know that tells a lot about a character of a person. That when you've been hurt and abused... That you still want the best for them. You still want them to be right with God. You still want them to have forgiveness of sins. You know, it, it baffles people why we could rejoice in someone like a Jeffrey Dahmer who was a serial killer down in Milwaukee who cannibalized and ate people. According to, to reports, he made a clear profession of faith and trusted Jesus Christ as a Savior. He went... He... Uh, he died later on, but if he truly accepted Christ as a Savior, he's in heaven now. And people are like, wait a second. Why would God allow a cannibalized serial killer in heaven? That's not right. Listen, we're all sinners. Every single one of us. 
We should rejoice in God's mercy that God can save anyone. Some people say, you don't understand what a sinner I am. You don't understand what a savior he is. He could forgive you of anything. It doesn't matter how deep and dark your past is. God is able to forgive. And that's the brokenheartedness of the psalm. As he looks at these people and says, I know the things that you've done. But God is still willing to forgive you. You haven't crossed the line. It is not too late. They could be saved. They could have God's forgiveness. And he is grieved. Because he still doesn't want them to perish and go to that awful place called hell. He wants them to all accept Christ as their Savior and have that personal relationship with them. They're headed to destruction. And that grieves him more than what they're doing to him. What grieves your heart? So often we're so selfish that we're mad at people because of what they do to us. We should be more upset of where they're headed what's happening to them, that they're going to an awful place called hell, that they're headed to destruction. Which brings us now to the last thing here, the hope. The hope. Notice with me in 159. Consider how I love thy precepts. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy loving kindness. The psalmist looks up from his enemies and looks at the Lord. Once again, he asked the Lord a ninth time in this psalm to quicken him. Again, this word quicken carries the idea of new life. It carries the idea of revival. He says, Lord, I need revival. I need new life. I need you to do something here. I need you to work. The only way that I can keep going is if you give me this new life. The psalmist has fell in love with the word because of whose word it is. Notice again one for 59. Consider how I love thy precepts. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy loving kindness. By the way, if you want revival and you want new life, it comes from God's word. You cannot be a spiritual person without first being a scriptural person. If you want revival, if you want this new life, you want the Holy Spirit to have control, it comes, starts with you being in your Bible. You are not a spiritual person if you are not first a scriptural person. That's why we say over and over the greatest thing you could do on a daily basis is to have, uh, to be in God's Word. So many times Christians are like, I want God to work, I want God to change my family. Well, are you reading your Bible? No. Then you're asking in vain. One of the things that we do in this church is we have discipleship. What is discipleship? We define discipleship as developing the habit of obedience to Christ. That everything we do in the Christian life is habits. You get in the habit of reading your Bible. You get in the habit of going to church. You get in the habit of praying. And discipleship helps provide accountability to help set up these habits. Why? Because we want you to be a spiritual person. And it starts by having these godly habits in your life. One of the things that most people, Christian or non-Christian, could be characterized is lack of self-discipline. We're going to see that emphasized in the next two messages. A lack of self-discipline. A lack of habits in their life. A lack of setting things up. So many times people will put their Bible reading wherever that fits. Well, if it doesn't fit, then I don't get to it. God doesn't deserve our leftovers. He deserves our first fruits. 
He deserves for him to have a scheduled time in our life where we say, this is my time with God. And if you allow that to lapse, let me tell you, you cannot be a spiritual person. God deserves to have a personal time where you set aside for me and God to talk with each other in prayer. And that is a self-discipline. This is my appointment time. Uh, God's going to show up. He'll keep his appointment. You need to keep your appointment. And people lack this self-discipline. And you cannot be a spiritual person without being a scriptural person. Without these self-disciplines in our life, what happens is our life becomes more chaotic. And without that, it messes up our life horribly bad. (laughs) We have to have self-disciplines. And it goes beyond our Bible reading. We have to have self-discipline in the mind. How do you deal with temptation? Do you let it run rampant? Or are there things that you set up in your life to deal with temptation? We'll cover that in the next two messages. There are basic things within the Christian life that have to be set up. And part of that will come to the idea of quickening. That God does something in my life. Revival never comes by accident. Some people believe that revival is just some mystical force. That God just all of a sudden shows up and rains upon the people. And then woohoo we got revival. Revival is a correct use of constituted means. As someone said. That you do... You follow what God has told us to do in God's promises and God will bring revival. Now again, why am I saying this? Because again, so many times Christians are asking the impossible. I want my family changed. I want people to be right with God. And they're not willing to be right with God themselves. Amen. They don't set up disciplines. <laughs> revival comes, this new life, this quickening that the psalm is asking for, when... An individual develops these habits and seeking after God within their own life. Having the self-disciplines. That we know that revival only comes from God. However, we do everything we can to prepare for revival. And asking for it. This self-discipline life is probably the biggest thing that we're missing in the Christian life today. Is that people live their life in a chaotic fashion. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Maybe instead of chaotic, you say, I don't like that word. How about one that's lacking in structure and in order? Is your life in order? Is it structured decently and in order? You'll be amazed about what you can accomplish even in your own strength. With discipline. But imagine what could be accomplished when your life is disciplined for the Lord and God puts his presence, his life upon it. The impact that it changes. 
when people get to the place where they say, I want my family to change, I always show them 1 Peter chapter 3. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they can be without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives. And the passage goes on. And the reason why they hate that passage is because it states in the context that if you want to win your family to the Lord, you need to become the very best Christian you know how to be. How does that happen? By having a disciplined, structured life. If you're not reading your Bible, how can you expect your loved ones to read their Bible? If you're not following the Lord, how can you expect them? You understand, you can't, you could lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But you put salt in its oats. One of the things that's missing in our Christian life is that we don't make people thirsty. People don't want your Christianity because it doesn't make them thirsty. True Christianity and spirituality, which the psalmist has been talking about, is that we can be close to God and have His presence in our life. People are tired of hearing about a Christian. They want to meet one. They want to see what they sound like, what they smell like, what they taste like. He wants to see the reality of them. They are tired of hearing about a Christian. They want to see one. And most Christians don't wear that moniker well because they don't have God's presence, because they don't have a structured, disciplined life. So much so that when temptation hits them, they're not disciplined to handle it. Again, you'll see that in the next two messages speaking about David as we're preparing for Solomon. These are things that can be a part of our life and should be a part of our life. And we can expect revival to come as the psalmist is saying, for the ninth time, quicken me. Give me new life. Give me revival. I'm praying for it. Consider how I love thy precepts. Quicken me. You understand that was part of his prayer of why he could pray for revival. Because he loved God's word. Listen, if you're not reading God's word on a daily basis, you don't love God's word. If you're not obeying God's word on a daily basis, you don't love God's word. He says, I need revival. How can he pray for revival? Because he says, I love God's word. Now remember, he's talking to God. It's not talking to a congregation. And he's not talking to some person trying to impress them. He's talking to God. And when he's saying, Lord, I love thy word. God looks down at the psalmist and says, I know you do. Is that the response that you'd get from heaven? I love your word, God. God says, what? (laughs) When did this happen? Could it be an honest statement that you tell God, I love your word, and he looks down and says, I know you do. I can tell. You understand, this is part of revival. And part of affecting the world around us. Remember, he's just talking about, he's so heartbroken for the people around him. How are the people around him going to be reached? Is if he has God's presence, God's revival upon him to reach the rest of the world. Notice as we finish up in 160. Thy word is true from the beginning. Now, where does all of this come to? Well, in the middle of all the persecutions, the afflictions, the brokenheartedness, how can the psalmist still go and expect God to work? How can he still have hope? How can he still move forward? Because he has one certainty within the universe. God's word is true. 
We're depending upon God's word. We're trusting in his promises. We're trusting in him to work. God's word is true from the beginning. His anchor is put on God's word and is grabbed a hold. And the storms could come and they could blow him, but they're not going to topple him. They're not going to sink the ship. Why? Because he's anchored to God's word, the certainty of it. He says, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. I'm so thankful that God's promises are true forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. There's never a time where they expire, where they run out of gas. You could trust God's word forever. And that's where we should be at. We should be a type of people who believe in God's word so much that we could claim God's promises. We should be people who love God's word so much that when we tell God that, he says, I know you do. And with that, we could pray for revival. We could pray confidently that people around us will have their lives changed because now they're thirsty. They're looking for something that's real. That's all part of revival. Revival comes as a const- <laughs> As us using God's promises and doing what we should do. And God will pour out his presence. Are you craving God's presence? Are you craving for this world to change? Well, this is how it starts. A disciplined life of following after God. And depending on God's presence. And letting God do what he needs to do. And God will work. for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.